When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Mark Ludlow with the Fearless Mindset Podcast, and uh, I have to do a little shout out in this episode. Everybody's kind of watching what's happening in Israel and the Middle East right now. And uh, my thoughts and prayers right now are with the people of Israel and the people of Palestine and uh, and the people of the, the U.S. troops that are stationed out there and the, the battleship groups that are out there that uh, everybody be safe and uh, get this all resolved sooner than later. And uh, I'm honored to have Pete Ford here with us from the East Coast. And uh, Pete is a former commander in the Army, and he's a hostage negotiator, uh, worked with the State Department himself, and he's highly involved with OSAC and ISF over there, the dinner fundraiser for that. And I met Pete through uh, Robert Dodge's team back in the G4S days when they were running crazy over there in the East Coast, and uh, Pete is known, well known in the D.C. area in diplomatic security and everything he's done over there. And uh, thanks, Pete, for your time. I know you're busy running as a director of security of a pharmaceutical company over there, and uh, your hands are bit busy. I'm sure you're juggling many things. Thanks for coming on board. No, I, I appreciate it. It's a little bit easier to come aboard after the weather gets uh gets worse. It's going to be freezing this afternoon and, and tonight, so I'm happy to be here. I'm not out of water or anything like that. Yeah, we're, we're connected on Facebook, and I always see you on the, on the boat. Is that the, What river is that when you're on your boat? It's on the Potomac, and uh, you know, during the summer before the nightfall, it's always nice to go out there. And, uh, it's my new sport is out there rowing, so I'm about uh, 10, 15 minutes from it, and it's, it's a nice way to sort of end the day. Still stay no, in shape. Right. That's your that's your cardio growing boats. I didn't know that. That's cool. That's my that's my happy place out there in the water. <laughs> no life jacket either. You're like a first class swimmer, right? <laughs> but yeah. thanks, Pete. Thanks for your time. So, Pete, uh, audience, if you don't know Pete, he's highly involved with OSAP, the State Department, ISF, and I just wanted to kind of pick his brain on the why OSAC and the State Department are so critical during these crazy times that we're involved with. And Pete can explain that more in detail than I can, because he's heavily involved. And uh, yeah, Pete, please share away to the audience on, on your perspective on why the State Department and OSAC are so critical and what we're seeing in the Middle East right now, and even Ukraine. It's, it's, such, it's a pivotal, critical part of the State Department function. Right, well, you know, OSAC, Overseas Security Advisory Council, we deal with everything overseas, right? And it's no longer an ocean, it's a pond, right? And with what's going on right now, OSAC pay, uh, plays a pivotal role. They have, we don't have any um, operations in the mi Middle East or anything like that. So I'm not on these calls, but U.S. companies that are over in the Middle East, especially uh, in the Israeli area, are on, uh, I think it's daily calls they have with OSAC and mm. they they have the regional security officer um, over there. Those those countries, I don't know. I think they're dealing with Israel every time, but it's also Lebanon, Jordan, uh, all the places over there. And they call in the uh, security officer or the embassy, and then he or she is able to give real-time intelligence to the folks out there, what's sort of going on the ground. And it's important because also, Mark, the fact is, is you have the, this group 
and it's people with interest over in that area. And then they're able to, you know, talk to each other. And then after that, do a one off and they're able to say, hey, what about this over there? And then they have, you know, they can maybe work together, do different convoys together, that type of thing. But OSAC right now, uh, I think especially right now, also with Ukraine, is playing a pivotal role because it's uh, it's overseas. And so does that, the, the, the embassy, that is, do the uh, like CIA, I'm sure they go there as a home base, operate out of that, those offices to conduct operations as well. There's so many things that happen within that embassy. Yeah, I, whatever, you know, it's, I just deal with the security there are so far, right? Right. Uh, there's, um, I know they're very busy right now. Crazy. And how long, you've been a part of the State Department for how many years now? So, actually, yeah, so you were talking a little bit about the, the military time. I was in the um, Army Reserves for 32 years, and I was part of the POW at uh, MIA. Um, Directorate office. Uh, my last assignment, I was the commander of the uh, Capitol Hill Reserve Unit uh, up on Capitol Hill for a while, so I was involved in that. But I was actually in diplomatic security, which part of the State Department we talked about for 32 years. I retired uh, back in 2018, and I was the second longest serving agent um, in the depart uh, in diplomatic security. And I eventually, after Venezuela, I was like, okay, it's time to retire. It's time to go. I've done my I've done my duty. Uh, it was great, but then you were talking about OSAC. I got into OSAC. Um, I did uh, Iraq from 2007 to a little bit of nine, about 18 months, and then I did the War College, uh, the Intelligence College, and then I went into OSAC, which was great. And it's a two-year tour, uh, Mark, but I extended for two years, so I was there for a total of four years, either as the deputy or the uh, the acting director of OSAC, and um, you know. It's- Frank, I can't even believe I got paid for it. It was the most, uh, it was the best job. If you don't like people, um, then you don't like it. But uh, for me, I, I think um, everybody's got a story. And if you treat everybody the same, right, uh, you can have a small little American business uh, and you've got to make them feel like they're right up there with the big boys because, you know, when they go overseas, uh, you've got to treat everybody equally. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And what you're talking about, this OSAC annual meeting, briefing, whatever they, you know, it's been back and forth. That is the, uh, you know, that is the keystone of the whole OSAC year. And right now we've got, what, about 14, 16 days or so until the, the main It's right day. around the corner. Yep. Yeah, right around the corner, Mark. And, um, you know, we were just talking, and I'm glad you're coming out this year. But the, the analysts, uh, the program directors, all that, uh, the director, and everybody's very busy right now. They're, they're in the weeds. I'm sure uh, they are. There's probably some people that are listening to this uh, this podcast and saying, okay, how do how the heck do I get a hold of them? Uh, it's a tough time right now. It's tough. But I'll, I'll be able to explain some of that later on. When we we start talking about the ins and outs of OSAC, I've got my opinions on um, okay. should be, yeah, make it more enjoyable, more useful. Very useful. I mean, it's the biggest tool for, like, if you have a company, like you're saying, if you have a company, say you have a client, it's called an XYZ company, and they're functioning, let's say, Africa, and you don't know what the climate is on the ground. Over OSAC has that the liaison right to the embassy. And if let's just say, for example, um, I had um, my company had uh, a Ghana, for example. You know, we had business there, but we were just starting out. 
I'm the director of security for the company or responsible for the Africa area. We have something called country councils at each one of the embassies. Not everyone, but, you know, a vast majority of them. And that's where they get the, the folks in country to meet together. Could be weekly if it's high threat. I guarantee you the folks in, uh, in Israel right now are meeting a lot as well as uh, Beirut, Lebanon. Or it could be, you know, once a month or once a quarter, depending on the situation. But if I'm stationed here in the States and I have to go to Ghana, for example, I'll go ahead and find out when they're going to have these meetings, usually at the mm-hmm. embassy or at the consulate, depending, you know, if it's an embassy or consulate, or they could have it at a hotel, wherever. And I would, I would go ahead and if I had a little flexibility, go over there when they were having the meeting to talk to all the security officers from other U.S. companies. And there you're able to, you know, sit over a cup of coffee, beer after work, whatever. And you can sit and find out what the real, real sort of security situation and how they can help you on the ground. Because if you're just like calling from the States, Ghana, you can, you know, you could go online, but this gives you an end to the embassy. What they find out, you have the, uh, the security officers, the regional security officers. Every year he puts out a report on the security situation in that city or that country. And you can go ahead and use it. That's part of the deal. And it gives you, um, gives you, you know, gives you credibility with your, your company. It's just the right thing to do. Yeah. You just got to protect, you know, protect those interests out there. And you get, once you leave the States, it's a different animal out there. This is different, well, different threats. My last, my last post was Venezuela, you know. Yeah, I saw was, that. Yeah. That, and that was during the tough times of, you know, 18 and late 17 when, we had to evacuate uh, the family members, and um, but we still had American businesses down there, been down there for 100 years, besides the oil companies, right? I mean, then it, the Krakus was you know, killing it 30 years ago, and all American they were. Members, and they weren't leaving. They were trying to stay on. Uh, unfortunately, it got really bad there in some other ones. So we closed the embassy eventually. But that that country council uh, for the American companies over the state still, it was, it was, uh, it was a lifeline. It was, it worked well. It's hard to believe that Venezuela is one of the top oil producers in the world at one time. I mean, people told me that. I'm like, huh, really? Venezuela? I had no idea. Yeah, they, um, it, that was, you know, that was part of my, um, you know, my, my, my souls there because those folks are, 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 are very intelligent. Um, talking to them, they love the Yankees much more than the Mets. <laughs> We started. Uh, we started a ball team called the, and I and I was I had to deal with you know the the police that protected the embassy and things like that, and sure. we started a um, we started a softball team called uh, Los Gringos. <laughs> Just for the fact, <laughs> it worked well, and that was uh, that's how I was able to get uh, uh, you know interact with the police and things like that. But in all reality, um, it, it is a sad. They have natural resources. Um, People on the streets love America, um, but uh, it was a it was a it was a difficult um, time period, frankly. I can imagine. Now, during your time in the military, what what did you enjoy the most when you were in the military? What what was the things that got you up in the morning and really gave you that burning uh, fire in your gut to just go out there and conquer the day? What what was those things that you really enjoyed the most? Uh, well, it's just basically. To be part of it, I, I grew up at West Point for 18 years, and you know, as a kid, I, I I'm one of these guys who loves parades, who you know sees a uniform. I, I believe in all that 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 stuff, and uh, so I, I I joined as as a private, 
And I went through and, um, I don't know, uh, some years as a private and moved up and then, you know, went in and, and then went over seas, uh, in an Intel unit, um, during the Bosnia timeframe. And then in Iraq, I was at, um, I was on the Homeland, you know, on the Foreign Affairs Committee back in 2007. And wow. But it was a detailee. So mm-hmm. we sent one a person up to the hill, and it, it was I for the year on the Foreign Affairs Committee under uh, um, the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, was under Chris Price. But uh, I, I was up there, and I heard General Petraeus uh, talk to the Armed Services Committee and to the Foreign Affairs Committee. And I said, you know, that he got it, right? I mean, he was talking about rebuilding. He was talking about the right things. That I, and then the way back, I volunteered to go. And I was over there uh, about four weeks later. And it was the, I was the director of the Office of Hostage Affairs. So I did that for six months. And then I just uh, did it. I went over in the State Department, didn't move the office or anything. So I did six months military and one year state as the director of uh, Office of Hostage Affairs. Was that a big transition going from the military to the State Department? Was that was that weird? Did the different cultures or how was that? It, it wasn't at all. Uh, because uh, when I was there, I was assigned in a military capacity to the embassy doing director of hostage affairs. And, you know, I had helicopters and things like that to go out and, and do the, the job. Mm-hmm. And it just it's because at that time, the State Department did not have enough folks to fill all the positions at the at the embassy. Right. At the beginning. And so I, um, I put my military hat, went over there and then I just was an easy transfer right into um, uh, the civilian part. Uh, as that the folks in front of me, mm-hmm. uh, they were military folks, uh, and then I was the last one, and it was a civilian one after that. But really, not not too big of a transition. And then after that, I just stayed in. I, I enjoyed the military, and um, I got out, and it was 2013. Wow! And you retired? Did you retire? I know you were in the reserves there for a bit too, weren't you? And then oh, it was, it was all out. reserves. Yeah, I got called. Oh, it? Yeah. And wow, then, man. This is the reserve world, so it's a different role. I did what eight years in the Marine Corps reserves as well, and you, you get fired up and it's fun up to go deploy wherever you got to deploy to, and you're right there with the, re- the rest of them. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because the old days the reserves were you know it's two weeks a year and that was it, right? Yeah, one week in a month, and then it changed, and it was all because of Iraq, and then the reserves mm-hmm. got deployed, 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 deployed. And, you know, it's a tough call, you know, yeah. is, is it worth it if you take the totality of everything? Would you mm-hmm. do it again? And, you know, it's it, it, it was tough. I'll be, with the State Department, it was tough just for the fact that, um, you know, I was, I, I, you know, I've served in Lebanon. I've served in Sudan, places like that, and trying to do the military thing. And at first, the State Department, to be, you know, frank, wasn't supportive, right, because they didn't get it. But then after a while, they became very supportive. And um, it was impressive to see. And that was with Colin Powell when he came in. He mm. just if we're going to call it the reserves, it can't be just the civilians taking the hit, right? Mom and pop place out there in Des Moines, Iowa. It has to be everybody. So, you know, the State Department, uh, it's going to have to do its fair share. So uh, people get called up a lot. Still happy I did it, though. Sure. Absolutely. It's amazing to me the doors that open up, you know, nobody tells you when you're doing it the opportunities that present themselves later on in your career in life. It just, you just don't see those opportunities when they come up and say, Oh, you, you're in that branch. Oh, I was that in that branch. You just have that 
brotherhood or brother sisterhood of community, part of that tribe. And that trust factor is established. It's just, oh, you're served? Okay. It's just the immediate respect factor. Also, it's all good. Um, They're they're great folks, everybody, until the Army-Navy day. (laughs) 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 The Navy guys, uh, I won't say anything on that, but I do. There you go. But it's interesting to see how the State Department's evolved to such a, uh, from my perspective, it's evolved to a huge, massive organization. I look at the State Department going equal to that of the CIA or the NSA. I mean, they're a big, big agency and they do so much. Yeah, that's totally different. But I I, I will say that the um, uh, the State Department, you know, the fact is, is, as I said before, I never, it's no longer an ocean, it's a small pond. And I never Mm -hmm. went overseas until after college. And then in the State Department, uh, I had the opportunity to to visit or work visit um, 117 different countries. And after what we all, you know, took put little pins on the maps, right, and said where we're going. And we'd have a little bit of competition. Who's been in the most diplomatic careers always won. Uh, Right. You you had a chance to go, you know, any on a moment's notice flying anywhere. If you're on the secretary's detail. You know, back when it was the Middle East negotiations, I I had guys tell me they'd go to four countries in a day, just back and forth. And, you know, and it's it's busy like that right now. But um, it really, if you like to go overseas, it's the culture. It's the language. You know, even in State Department. And I had to take it, Mark, when I went over to certain places, right, like Honduras, places like that. You have to take the language to go there. It's usually six months unless you take, you know, Russian Mm -hmm. or but I took five of them and I'm, I was average. I worked hard, but I'm not, I'm not good at it, to be honest. I wish I were better, but I, I worked hard at it and you learn it. You do your two or three years there and you come back. And then if you went to another country, you'd have to learn another one. And that takes some effort. Um, but, you know, anybody who likes to sort of, I mean, if the world's so exciting and you get out there and see it. And so when, you know, when I went to OSAC, I had a good feeling of where, where places were in the, and the uh, trials and tribulations of the, uh, of the businesses out there. But getting back to your thing about how big the embassies are, it's it's not only passport visa, uh, you know, for people to come to the United States, but it's also to help American businesses over there. And there's a whole office up there, you know, commercial affairs that, that help out American businesses because, you know, you want to support American businesses overseas. And then the universities, which OSEC also supports, mm-hmm. right? I mean... What is it? Uh, NYU. I, I don't know how many different campuses. You know, they have campuses throughout the world. Uh, a lot wow. of the are doing that, and so you're supporting that way. You're, it's it's um, it's just a, they do a lot. A massive undertaking for sure. <clears throat> now that we're getting close to OSAC. There's like you said, there's so many details that takes place in that what five days or four days span of everybody getting together for the <laughs> annual briefing. That's insane. <laughs> The thing is, is uh, about 10 years ago, we, when I was, we called it, we started calling it OSAC Week. Wow. <laughs> because everything, yeah, you know, everything comes in. Um, mm-hmm. The International Security Management Association, ISMA, uh, there's a reception. I think that's Tuesday night. Uh, Security 500 has their um, their annual get-together, and then that's on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's happening. And then Tuesday is when... Tuesday, I think, is the 14th mm-hmm. of tomorrow. We have, um, that's when the OSAC leadership gets together, and that's the Common Interest Councils. Because the other thing, Mark, talking about OSAC, 
um, you know, the regional theme of this whole thing. Right. Is there's kind of interest councils. There's the energy council. There's the um, there's a media council. There's there's academia. Oh, there's so many different groups, right? Hotels, um, and they get together and they talk about common problems. So they're going to become at OSAC and they're going to, you know, they'll have a little, you know, 10 people, 10, 15 people say, okay, what's going on with the hotel security? And they may not, you know, they're competitors, right? I mean, we're sure. fighting, you have to have competition to work. And so they might compete each other uh, against each other out there in the market. But when it comes to security, I think the great thing about OSAC is the trust. And mm. uh, when they sit there, they can have these meetings. I always like, to be honest, you know, I, my favorite one was the hotel group because that was the most fun. But I go, <laughs> you have to treat everything the same, but the most yeah. fun was, but I still think it's like that. I don't know. I, you know, maybe the, some of the other folks are out there, but um, it, that's when they get together and then they talk about it. So you have OSAC. And we'll talk about the annual meeting here in just a second, but they have the projection of on the ground at the embassies, you know, those are the, uh, that's the, that's the groups out there that meet, right? And we got that. Then you've got back here, the common interest councils, right? So that's each one of the different groups that are meeting. And then folks coming in, which will also be coming into the annual meeting where they may not have any of this and they're thinking maybe their company isn't going to receive yet, but they're going and they're just trying to learn. And so I think with the annual meeting, besides the uh, networking, which is um, per, you know, very good, uh, you have a lot of good information. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's form and there's function. The form is, okay, you're at the State Department, you know, it's it's a big deal. And the function oh, yeah. is getting down to the one-offs, right? When you meet somebody, you just go over the side into the, the corner, you start talking about, you know, how things, how you can work together, that kind of thing. So that's, that's what's, uh, that's what's important. Yeah. My first OSEC, I think uh, that's where I first met you with Dodge. That was like three, four years ago. I think it was when I was out there. Well, so, and, yeah, this is the first time they're having it at the state department in three years. Wow. That's so crazy. Yeah, because the pandemic and, and two years, uh, it was um, canceled, right? That's right. And, and last year, it was at Capital One. And there was uh, uh, it's, it's Mike, I do not have his name in front of me, but he's the CSO of Capital One, of McGritty. McGarity, I'm sorry about that. Sorry about that, Mike. <laughs> good, good Irish name. Uh, there you I go. Him last week, and the funny thing, he stepped up because, and I'll give OSAC the props for this one. Sure. Because you know, the pandemic last year at this time is still sort of sketchy, you know, in the State Department, you know, we're going to have it there. And, and if something were to happen, right, they would have had to cancel it. And the reason why it was in a hotel last year, Mark, people keep saying, well, are they going to have it at hotels because we had it last year? Well, if they had it at the hotel, then they would not have all the government rules and all that in terms of if they had to cancel it. And so they had it at the hotel, which was a brilliant idea. And I give OSAC, you know, credit uh, cred for that. And also Mike uh, McCarity, because he stepped up and they got a beautiful facility out there at um, Tyson's Corner, Capital One, the world or whatever you want to call it. Because I saw the pictures, I didn't make it out to the last one that got sick or something. And I saw, I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't look like the one that I went to. And I'm like, wait a minute, it must be a hotel or something. But it looked beautiful and laid out, and pictures nice up from the top. I'm like, wow, that's incredible, whatever yep. they did. And, 
So the reason why OSAC has it, you know, number one is tradition. Uh, two, they don't have to pay for it, right? That's uh, right. Money. And we'll talk about the ISF later on. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is if you've got people that are coming out and they're like, hey, I'm going to a, you don't want to call the conference and you're meeting, right, or whatever, and you're sure. breaking it's not a conference. Um, it's better when you have to talk to the boss and ask her, hey, I'm, I'm going to the State Department instead mm-hmm. of going somewhere, some hotel. So there's there's, a, there's, there's pros and cons. Um, I'll give you, once we get into it later, I'll give you some of the recommendations of what time to get there and, and, and where to go. Cool. You want me to do that now? Or yeah, we, let's do it. Yeah, sure. That's okay. good tips for folks going out there. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So, anyway, so we've got about what, 14 days. Uh, next uh, Tuesday is when the leadership's going to meet. So, the main day, Mark, is uh, on Wednesday, and that's at uh, starts at 8.30. And I just checked it off the, the website. Nice. So okay. And what we usually did was open the doors up at 7, 0700. And here's my recommendation to the folks that are, if you haven't been out there or even if you have, just a reminder, the big bottleneck, right, is when people are trying to get through security and it's on 23rd. Oh, yeah. And, yep. it, it, and, and don't drive. Do not drive. Do not drive. Do <laughs> don't not drive. And then pray for warmer weather. Pray for warmer weather. No rain or anything like that. Because the, I used to go out there, Mark, um, ahead of time. And just work the line, work the people line, just tell them, hey, thank you for waiting line. Sorry, we have to go through security because people get, I'll be frank, they get ticked, right? As it gets, <laughs> as it gets, and I get it, you have to understand <laughs> yeah. what we're going through. You have to empathize with them. And so, and, and they get there thinking it's not going to be a big line and it gets to be a big line. And if it's Huge. cold, and then they want to get in there and they want to get some coffee and all that. But so get the, I, I would, we used to open at seven. I would say, why not get there a little bit early? Yeah. Get in, right? Okay. Hopefully it's in, in dress warm enough. But get there early, real early. Get in, go through security, get all your, your jacket or whatever you have, scarf or whatever. Put it on a seat. Go find a seat right away. Don't go for the Starbucks coffee. Go to the seat because that's what's prime real estate later on. Absolutely. You have somebody to go with, you know, find some here. Once you get in there, then you can go down. And we used to, Mark, we used to bet. When I first started, they had the coffee and the old military, you know, the big silver ones. And it just tasted terrible. It was absolutely the worst coffee ever. So, thank God we got Starbucks in there. And, uh, you know, for Starbucks, she was on the second. She brought it in and it's been a hit ever since. So, Starbucks coffee, always hot, always strong. Uh, so, get that. And then they have enough food there in the morning. So, if you miss breakfast, you, you've got that right there. Right. So make sure you get there early. And oh, the other thing is, if you don't have hotel reservations now, you make get it. Make them now. Like make them now because you're thinking, oh, it's a big city. But there's something else because we've had issues where in the past, I don't know about right now, but there's not enough hotels. Not enough. There's and not. Have, yeah. And so, and then hopefully stay next to a metro because everything you go to is next to a metro. Uh, uh, because Uber is going to be jammed. You can take yeah, a taxi. But just and start putting your steps in now. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, usually I go from one reception to the next and I walk it, even if it's a little chilly because I, I like to walk, but it, it makes it easier. So get the hotel reservations now. Get there early. Uh, get a seat as soon as possible. And they're going to come out with an OSAC app that they do, Mark, you know, for the oh, week. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. Make sure you download that. It'll have all the, the agenda, et cetera, et cetera. 
I even, you know, I do the, the Twitter, which is, I guess, X now, go through OSAC, follow them. I follow them on LinkedIn. Now at lunch, lunch is 12 to 1.30. So it's an hour and a half. Good lunch. That long, but they do it now so people could actually leave to go get something outside. If you haven't been there before, instead of going back to security when you come in, I would just stay there and go to the to the cafeteria. It's a long mm-hmm. line. Sometimes you have to, if, if you've got work to do, maybe you can do work because you got the uh, Dean Atchison Auditorium and you got the Lloyd Henderson, which is the overflow. But mm-hmm. if you want to you know, do some work there, maybe find a table, I would go there instead of the Dean Atchison. Right. A lot of folks like it over there. They go in the back. They just sit down and do some work out there for lunch. You've got the women in security. They're going to have something over the Institute of Peace, which is right across the street. So the folks that are going to Institute of Peace luncheon for women in security, um, it's not a far walk. It's like it's like two minutes right across the street. But um, you got that. And then it ends at approximately uh, five o'clock. So that's the end of the day. That's the end of the first day. Second day is less people. And it's less of a hassle getting in, uh, but it's only half a day. Uh, getting oh. back, also, going, again, I'm sorry, getting back to the, I wrote this down in my notes, so I got to say is, you know, you had the lunch. And the second right. day is breakout sessions. You get to pick, it, it works well because then it's more detailed. I also would look, you know, if you've got, if you've got the Olympics coming up, if you've got World Cup, uh, you know, the OSAC event, Office is going to have a table there or some kind of discussion. You can go talk to them. You can talk to some of the other different themes that are going out there. But that's the afternoon, and that works pretty well because then you sort of detail. You know, during the morning, I think there's four major speakers, and that's you know where you just sit down and, and, and listen. I don't know if I have time for questions. Some usually they do. Uh, you know, they hopefully this year we used to have it in the past where they sold OSAC trinkets, little OSAC pins, things like that that goes well overseas if you go overseas. Cool go to a second event as well as coins. And um, yeah, so that's the first day and the second day is a half day. And then um, people usually leave that afternoon and that Thursday afternoon. 